Thank you for joining Associated Luxury Hotels International for our next episode of Beyond the Meeting Room. Beyond the Meeting Room is hosted by Alhai's president and CEO, Michael Dominguez. Each episode, Alhai shares candid conversations on a variety of topics to enhance your personal and professional life. This episode is brought to you by the Estate Yachtville, located in the renowned Napa Valley Wine Region and nestled in the charming town of Yachtville. The estate is a vibrant and lush oasis. The property is truly a village within a village, settled on an alluring 22-acre property. The estate has redesigned the wine country experience. The property is comprised of two luxury hotels with decidedly different personalities. The sinfully good and oh-so-social Hotel Villaggio and its sophisticated counterpart Vintage House, a chic and tranquil sanctuary. Offering curated signature experiences coupled with stunning event spaces indoors and out, any group, whether corporate or social, is sure to have a most memorable stay at the Estate Yauntville. Today, we are joined by Dee Dee Halfhill, a U.S. Air Force retired colonel and certified Brene Brown Dare to Lead facilitator. Dee Dee shares lessons learned over a 25-year military career and how we can harness our humanness, get comfortable in setting boundaries, and perfect our own work-life balance to become the very best version of ourselves. Whether an introvert or extrovert, we can all be terrific leaders, and this frank discussion outlines how to embrace vulnerability, hang up our armor, and strengthen the muscle that is leadership. Dee welcome to Beyond the Meeting Room, and thanks for joining us. I, I, I'm telling you, I was really excited about this conversation uh, because we got to spend some time together uh, when we were at Terranea just not too long ago. And, um, you know, we, we've always talked about this, this podcast really being about leadership specifically, life lessons learned, and things that are beyond what we usually talk about in the meetings community as a whole. Um, so thank you for joining us. I'm really excited uh, for you to be joining us. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for being part of the Ahai family. Yeah, thank you. I had such a great time out there with you all. So I thought, oh, I can't wait to continue the conversation. Um, there was such an energy in the room and within the people I met, I thought, oh, I actually think I want to come join this community. I'm going to give up the speaking thing and go work with El High. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny. We, we always joke about that, that uh, even, even our owners, when, um, when they're with us, you know, they, they have a bunch of tech companies that they own as well. Um, we always joke that we're the funnest thing they own. And, <laughs> and when they come to our meetings, they say, even a meetings uh, in the hospitality industry, everybody's just so hospitable. And, and I think you felt that when you were in there versus certain audiences. You do. You do. I mean, I don't want to, I have some great audiences out there. So I don't <laughs> want to speak negatively of anyone, um, but you're right. There just was such a joy and excitement that you could feel in the room. It was definitely something palpable. You could, you could just touch it. Well, and to give you air cover, I, I always say it's, it's not that you have bad audiences. It's that you had, you were in a room of complete uh, extroverts. There, yeah. there were no introverts in that room whatsoever. And that's the difference. Except um, me. I, I was the only introvert. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about that. Cause we actually got to talk about that. Um, before you got, got on stage when we were just talking, you got to meet my wife and you know, she's an introvert as well in yeah. that regard. Um, I think it's important because with the job you had and, and knowing the people you led, when you say introvert, um, 
I'd love for you to talk a little more and define that because I've always said, look, it doesn't mean you, you're not good with people. It just means it drains you. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah. You know, it was interesting because um, I spent the majority of my career as a, what we in the military call a public affairs officer. So I was often the public facing persona that, you know, I worked with the media, I worked with communities, um, congressional leaders. Um, and often when I would tell people like, I'm an introvert, they'd be like, no way, you're so outgoing. You know, you talk to people, you're very engaging. And it's just like you said, I would go home at night and I would just be exhausted. And why I love this idea of extrovert, introvert, um, cause to be fair, I'm kind of a little bit more toward the middle. I'm, you know, I had definitely have my extroverted tendencies, but I do need to take time to replenish those reserves. If I'm out doing a lot of face-to-face -face activity, or if I'm kind of on, you know, I put on in air quotes, right? Like if I'm out there and I'm up, you know, delivering a presentation by the end of that event, I'm really like, whoa, I need some sleep. And for a long time, I think I didn't have a language to understand that. And I really thought that I was defective, that maybe I wasn't <laughs> as good of a public affairs officer, or I wasn't going to be as good of a leader because it wore me out so badly. And I right. had this idea that if I was really good at it and I was meant to do it, it wouldn't make me so tired. I wouldn't need all of this recovery. Actually, I didn't even know I needed recovery time. What I just felt was empty. Yeah. And I thought I wouldn't feel so empty if I was actually good at this. And then I read the book, Quiet, The Power. Um, oh, I, uh, Susan Cain. Um, I think it's called Quiet, The Power of an Introvert in a World that Can't Stop Talking. I, I've seen yeah. it. Yeah, I have seen yeah. that. Yeah. It changed my life. I mean, there's so many books that changed my life because they do, right? Like that's the great thing about great authors and wonderful books that you can just grab and digest in your own pace. But this book by Susan Cain, Quiet, really changed my perspective because she talked in there about extroverts and introverts. But what I loved most, she actually, I'm a data person. I love information. She actually talked about leadership studies and how often introverts, when you look at the data, show up as just as great of leaders as extroverts. They just do it in a different way. They tend to be the leaders who are leaders of programs and projects, and they tend to be the leaders who think deeply about where an organization needs to go, how to shape a vision, how to find, and this is what I love, how to find the real talents that each person possesses. Because introverts, we tend to be very reflective. We tend to be deep thinkers. We tend to be observers. And when you're an observer and you're watching people, you really see them in a different way than I love my extrovert friends, love them. And this is not at all disparaging <laughs> against an extrovert, but extroverts are kind of like, I always say like on fire, right? They're like yeah. out there and they're going and, and they don't always tend, they don't always, and this is a very generalization and I don't want to upset anyone. <laughs> they don't always slow down long enough to really see between the lines. Yeah, I, I think that's the key. Because um, I, I don't think anything you're saying is offensive at all. I think for speaking to an extrovert. <laughs> okay, good. Whew. But but I intentionally slow down. 
Mm-hmm. And and I know I have to pick my moments, if this makes sense, I have to pick my moments to have my introverted moments. And I force them upon myself. And this is going to sound really bad, but an airplane to me is my most introverted moment because I put on my headphones and it is my time to think. Yeah. And, and I am probably the most antisocial person on an airplane because no, I don't want to hear your life story. No, I really don't want to talk to you right now because it really is a time that unless I wanted to, my email's not going off, my phone's not going off and I can just think. And, yeah. and I do that well with music, by the way. So I put music on and it's the only thing that gets my head uh, slowing down. Yeah. So that I can actually get into a space that I can just think a little bit bigger. And uh, my team will tell you, you know, I'll sometimes land and it's that last. Uh, and coming back from Mallorca, we were just talking about that was way too much time to be thinking uh, because when I got here, people were like, OK, somebody's been on a plane way too long because I had a lot of time to really get into some thought. And that's where, to me, some of my big next ideas come from, the big next steps for us, because. Uh, you take that time to kind of look at it at 30,000 feet. But I, I, I love the way you said it. I wrote it down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely get the book uh, because I want to see that. But I worked for a boss, Didi, that I, I think was, um, it was exactly that. And that boss used to always tell me, I, I'm an introvert. And I used to always have to remind him, you were really good with people. You just are drained if you have to do that for eight hours. Yeah. And, and that is the person that if they were looking at spreadsheets for eight hours, it was a really wonderful day and he they wouldn't feel drained. I would be drained even though I like data. If I'm looking at data all day and that's all I did. And I really do think what's unfair in our society is we've just labeled people. You're yeah. either an introvert because you said you land in the middle. I think most of us do. Yeah. I really do. In most cases, the, the introverts, there are some of them, but I think most of us land in the middle in the people I've experienced. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think, and I love this conversation because I love what you said about labels because so often we do just label it. Oh, you're an extrovert or you're an introvert. And I think growing up in, you know, in my career, what we held up without the language of extrovert and introverts were the extroverted leaders. And we said, these are the leaders, you know, the people who want to be out constantly, the people who are just so charismatic, um, the people who can just talk at like drop of a hat, right? They can just get up there and they sound fabulous and, and so eloquent. Um, and we have, you know, growing up, I saw that that was prized. Yeah. And so what I, the story I told myself was, I'm not really meant to do this. I'm, <laughs> I'm not what they're looking for. I'm not really what the military wants or needs. Right. And that took a long time to rewrite. That story took a long time to rewrite, but it wasn't until after I found that book that I started to really own the really good parts of being an introvert too. And right. like you said, I did have to put myself out there in an extroverted way. I was a, you know, communications professional. I was working with the public. I was working with the media. You don't get to stand in the corner when you're doing that. And then I became a commander myself and I was leading large organizations, thousands of people. And so I really had to find a way to tap into that extroverted energy and get out and about and see people and talk to people. But what I knew then was now, what do I need to do to take care of myself? So I no longer beat myself up for it. I really embraced it and said, 
if I'm going to do this, then I'm not going to make plans on Friday night. And I'm going to give myself time and space Friday night to put my fuzzy slippers on with my sweatpants, order a pizza and not talk to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) And not feel guilty about it. That's the biggest thing. Like you owe yourself that. Ashley Balding, who you met, um, our chief sales officer, she always has this great saying, that she reminds all of our staff. She said, you need to put on your oxygen mask first to put on anybody else's. Yeah. And, and I, I always love that because that's what you said. I mean, we sometimes feel guilty that we need me time, that I, I need to decompress. And I, and I can tell you, I, I know we have these discussions and I think it's, I, I want to go here in a second, but you know, you, you were a female in a male dominated organization for some time. I, I, I am a male and very much a female dominated uh, industry. Because uh, we are so heavy female, yeah. and yet we we've made that when we've talked about me time that you know the struggles and and I do know the struggles of what a mother brings to the table, trying to balance that and 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 kids and that lifeline. Um, and I used to, but I used to remember it's that it's not always gender specific, feeling the pressure, and and it was one of those things that when my kids specifically were in high school, I, I remember at one times like. I can't even get five minutes to myself. And no matter what I do, I'm disappointing somebody. Yeah. I'm either disappointing my team or somebody that's relying on me somewhere else or my wife or my kids, because now my kids are kind of split up and I got one in college and I got another one about to go to college and I got the one at home and this one at home needs help with the homework. But this one in college is like, okay, I'm not calling enough. And this one right here is like, wait, I'm about to graduate and there's not enough time. And, and it was this one time it all came to a head. And I said, no matter what I do, I'm disappointing somebody. And I can't even get five minutes to just breathe. And, and that wasn't a complaint. I, I loved all of it. But it's that realization that I think as a leader, we always feel that when we're making a choice that somebody's going to be disappointed because somebody is not on the positive end of that choice. And I've learned to live with that. I've learned to understand I'm never going to be able to give the same amount of time to everybody and unfortunately that's life and you kind of got to accept it but I I would assume you struggled with something similar um so I mean I didn't have um I wasn't married and I don't have kids so I didn't have the I didn't have the parental demands but as a single person in the military I often tried to remind other leaders that what we want is people who don't feel that guilt and that disappointment constantly, yeah. right? We we don't want people on our teams who are constantly carrying this burden of I'm disappointing someone because I may not have had kids, but I had parents, I had exactly, you know, I had causes I believed in that I wanted to support. I had, you know, I had networks, man, my friends who were my community. <laughs> and so we don't want people who are carrying the burden of that disappointing people. We don't want people who are carrying the guilt they feel because they feel like maybe they're not measuring up in some way or another. And then the other thing is, is we want, we want teammates, team members, we want leaders who are really being fulfilled. Maybe that oxygen mask you mentioned through whatever that oxygen mask is for them. Is that time with their family? Is that time in nature? Is that time in a hobby? Is that time working for a cause that is maybe different than what I'm doing day in and day out for my normal job. So it's about ensuring that we allow the scope of things that bring that 
bring that energy back to people and allow people time and space to do that. You know, I was just reading an article this morning where there's, there's a big discussion going on in the space about, you know, this idea that we have worked, you know, before productivity was how we showed our worth and working those, you know, long 12 in the military. If it was like, you weren't working a 12 hour day, then you were kind of like, why aren't you pulling your weight? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it quickly went to like, if you're not working, a, well, I'm working a 14 hour day and there's this epidemic of um, productivity as worthiness. Right. I have to show that I am truly committed by the hours I'm contributing, but let's be real. Like I didn't get to go for a walk. And so, you know, I was, I wasn't out in nature. I wasn't feeling fulfilled. So those 12 hour days over years, they just depleted, depleted, depleted until I got to the, towards the end of my career. And I was like, I'm not finding joy in this anymore. And the crazy thing is I've left, I retired six months ago. And now that I sleep regularly, you know, like I'm getting, getting a good solid seven and a half hours of sleep every night, maybe um, old habits die hard. Like yep. I got a 430 for years. So anyway, <laughs> now that I'm getting some regular sleep, I was like, I'm like, wow, there are so many aspects I really miss because I'm re-energized. And I'm full again. And I've often wondered what might it have looked like at the end of my career if for the entire 25 years in my career, I had better balance. I love that. You know, when when you talked about you don't want, and and you're talking about the people that you're leading, you don't want them to, what did you do? Or or what suggestions do you have for people leading? There's one thing to say, we don't want them feeling that way. We don't want them having that. What should we be doing as leaders? What permission should we be giving them that you, that you could give as advice uh, to be able to help along that way? Yeah, I mean, I can't say I mastered this. So yeah. I, was, I will say I am sharing what I am learning um, as I go along on this journey. In, um, you know, I'm a Dare to Lead facilitator. And as we're teaching that program in corporations, uh, in teams, we get to a section in the program that talks about boundaries. And most often people come to us and they go, I don't even know what a boundary is. (laughs) Like they don't even know how to articulate a boundary. They don't even know what boundaries they want to put in place. Like we just haven't, we don't teach people what real boundaries look like. And then here's, this is not part of the Dare to Lead curriculum, but I read this book years ago It's by Cheryl Richardson. It's called The Art of Extreme Self-Care. And in that book, chapter three, like I can remember the chapter, chapter three is titled, Let Me Disappoint You. Oh, wow. (laughs) I know. The whole premise of the chapter is, I hope I'm not getting this wrong because it has been years and you know how over time, (laughs) right? Cheryl Richardson, if you're listening, I apologize. But my general understanding of the chapter was to set really good boundaries and to get comfortable in setting boundaries, you have to accept that you're going to disappoint people, right? You said it earlier. I don't want to disappoint people. To set really good boundaries, we have to accept that we're going to disappoint people. But here's what I loved about the chapter, because it's easy for me to go, yeah, I think I can disappoint people. But when it comes down to it, and when I'm working with clients and individual coaching, we're not good at this. We're really not good at accepting it. So in the chapter, the homework of the chapter is to start disappointing someone 
once a day in small ways. Like, no, I'm not going to get your coffee. You need to get your coffee yourself. Or, you know, like, no, I won't, <laughs> stop by, I won't stop by the store on the way home and pick up milk. Um, I wouldn't recommend both of those. because. <laughs> but how do we find these small moments every day where yeah. we kind of inoculate ourselves to that fear of disappointing people so that we can put the right boundaries in place to help ourselves? So to answer your question about like, what can we do as leaders? I think we can articulate more that you won't disappoint me. Right. You won't disappoint me if you take care of yourself. You know, I worked for a leader. Or I worked, um, I don't, it wasn't someone I worked with, but it was someone I was having a conversation with and the demands are big. And in, in today's environment, right, things are moving fast. It's really complex. We need people kind of pulling their full weight. And this was going to be a job where it was going to be like all hands on deck for an extended period of time, we'll say a couple months. And what this leader did was they sat down with their team and they said, listen, we're going to need everybody in. We're going to need all hands on deck. It's going to be really busy for the next four to six months. What is the one thing that is really important to you? And for one, it was, it's really important to me that I make my son's soccer game every Tuesday. Right. Another one was like, I've been training for this marathon. It's something I've been wanting to do for years. It's really important to me that I get my, my morning runs. And they sat down as a team and they determined how do we cover so that everyone gets to do the one thing that is really important to them during this period of intense engagement, right? So that, that's a leader showing like I'm, what's important to you is important to me, which by the way, builds trust when I right. make things that are important to you, important to me. But what is like, how do I support you in what you're doing? And by doing that, you know, you're not disappointing me for, for doing the one thing that right now is really important to you. So I think we need to be really better about articulating. I want you to set boundaries. I want to talk about it because part of the problem is is often we haven't articulated our boundaries. And so people don't know what to expect. Right. People don't know how to engage. So sitting down with your teams and saying, what boundaries do we need to set? What does that look like? What time do we all agree we're not going to answer email? Yeah. And then being really clear and saying, you're not going to disappoint me. We're doing this together. I'm not disappointed. I, I love that, Didi. And, and I, I've always believed that's one of the biggest issues with leaders is that we're really bad at um, actually detailing expectations. And I, I do remember my, my very first week at Alhi, I'm on a call with everybody. And um, I, I had just gotten hired. They made the announcement. I jumped on the phone with it. And, and we didn't even do a Zoom at that point. We're just talking. But, but you know what I told everybody was, I said, I need you to understand something the way I work, that I'm going to be catching on the weekends. I get up early. I'm having my coffee. I'm just chilling. I'm going to catch up on emails. I go, just because I send you an email after hours or on a weekend, that is me catching up. I do not expect you to answer. And I always joke, I, I do know that the device in my hand is an, a telephone. If I really need you, I'll call you. Anything that comes through email, it's not that urgent. Or I would have called or texted you versus emails, but it's something that simple to let everyone know. I don't, I don't want you to feel this pressure that you see an email from me on Saturday and that you don't get back to me till Monday. I don't expect you to, but they need to understand those are just my habits and what that expectation is. And, and I learned that from other leaders 
you know, through my life, the ones that didn't do that <laughs> and the ones that did to just say, you know, it's kind of really nice. And to your point, it was really funny. I used to say this to all my teams in my past life. I'm only disappointed if you're not at your kid's rehearsal or your kid's soccer game or a practice that's important to them or they're getting an award at school. I go, the only time I'm going to be disappointed in you is when you're not there because we can work 24 seven today we, we, with technology. You don't need to be here to get your stuff done. And I know everybody works a little bit after hours because we see it, you know, that's just the life we live. But I love that. And you kind of said it when we were first talking about this is like giving permission. It, you got to give And You talked about giving yourself permission and, I, and I've learned it's not only giving myself permission, it's giving permission to everybody else to say, you're, you're not at all, you know, disappointing the company because you're doing something for yourself. That's making you better. It's getting yeah. you healthier, but it's a hard, I don't know why that's so hard for leaders at times, except that I think we get busy. Maybe, I don't know. You know, it's interesting because I agree with you hundred percent, right? Like I would communicate to my teams like, Hey, listen, cause I'm the same way. I would get up early morning, Saturday, I'd crank through some emails, you know, and I would say the same thing, like, hey, I don't expect you to get back to me. And I don't know if it was, you know, there's some weird psychological, um, there, there's weird psychology amongst teammates sometimes. Sometimes you have some competitiveness, right? You have people <laughs> who, especially in the military, were we were an upper out organization. So you had to keep progressing to be able to stay in the military. And so that inherently brings a degree of, you know, competitiveness. My teams were amazing and they always worked really well together, but you know, there was a little bit of that there. Right. And so I noticed that even though I said that they were still replying and I don't know if it's because like they thought, well, maybe Bob is replying and I don't want to be the only commander who's not replying (laughs) to the boss. So I actually put all my emails on delay and I I stopped sending them out because even though I would communicate, Hey, listen, if I need you, I'll call, don't answer my emails. They were still answering emails. And I thought, I'm not, I'm, I'm not showing, I'm not exhibiting the behavior I'm actually asking them to do because I am up on Saturday morning. Right. Right. And so I would put all of my emails, unless it was something really important. And then I would call, I'd put all of them on delay so that they couldn't check email on the weekend. Now, I don't know that that's a better answer. I, I don't know that there's a perfect answer. No. I think we have to get really comfortable in if am I going to set my own boundary of where I will and won't engage and then be comfortable with whatever those consequences may be? Yeah, I, I love that. That is a brilliant suggestion. I, I mean, seriously, because I've never really thought about that because even at night, I, I would think at night, that would be an easy one for me to do that they're not going to come in until first thing in the morning. And I, I, I guess I'm more concerned with that than I am the weekend. Cause I'm not, I personally, I don't get a lot of those weekend responses. Mm-hmm. And then I also realize I have certain people that have my same habit. They catch up on the weekend. Right. So all I did is put them behind with those people on a Monday, but, and then that's just in my organization. But to your point, you have to figure out your people. Yeah. And, and you have to figure out, figure out your flow and what that looks like. So uh, it, it's going to lead me something you said in your presentation at Terranea um, that I really wanted to get to. And it was my favorite. I, I know you had a bunch of points uh, that we went through and it was a longer conversation, but 
hanging up the armor mm. I, 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 is one that really stuck with me because I, I think that as leaders, it's important for us to be vulnerable. And many of us think that's a weakness versus a strength and understanding showing vulnerability is very, very strong in that regard. But can you talk a little bit about hanging up the armor? Because uh, that, that one is one that just, it, it really drew me in uh, the way you talked about it. And I think it's just an important lesson for leaders. Yeah, thank you. I've, you know, it's funny because I've since changed it to harness our humanness. <laughs> but, but really, it's the same thing, right? We, we've been taught that we're supposed to be stoic. We, we've been taught that we're supposed to have all the answers. And we've been taught that work isn't always a safe place to be yourself. And we, in response to that, armor up. And, and that's the language that, you know, Dr. Brene Brown uses yeah. in her books. Um, and so we armor is basically what are the thoughts, beliefs, and actions I do to prevent you from seeing my heart, who I am as a person, what matters to me. Anytime I feel the need to protect myself because of maybe experiences I've had, beliefs I hold, trauma that I've been through in my life. We put this cover around us and that armor prevents us from being seen. I changed it a little because in subsequent presentations to harness our humanness, because really what this is about is when I can take that armor off and I can show you the part of me that is human, the areas where I struggle, the areas where um, who I am, the gifts I really possess when I can show you me, I create trust in an entirely different way. So I love the idea of taking off the armor, but for me, harness the human, harness our humanness feels more active. Like I'm actually going to not just hide by taking off the armor. I'm not going to not just hide. I'm actually going to embrace these parts of me that make me me. And I'm going to show them to you. Because in doing so, and one of my favorite quotes from Brene is courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. And I could see a distinct shift in my career when I stopped wearing the armor and stopped being who I thought they wanted me to be. And when I started actually showing up and talking about the things that mattered to me and showing up authentically with the gifts and skills I have, when I could let my heart actually lead in a you know to build trust i saw a distinct shift in my career i was happier our teams were more productive but then there were moments in my career where i put that armor back on i had taken it off and i put it back on because things got hard and things got scary and and i could see that when i was not showing up authentically when i wasn't showing up by really leaning into, you know, authenticity is one of my top values. And so when I was hiding behind who am I supposed to be, what am I supposed to say? What is a colonel supposed to act like? <laughs> I still don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, what is a colonel supposed to do? I felt detached and I felt separated from my team and I felt really alone. But when I let go of what is a colonel supposed to act like? I connected to people in such a different way. And when you're connecting, you're getting feedback. When you're connecting, people are sharing ideas. When you're connecting, people innovate, right? I didn't have to do it all alone. 
And so by taking off the armor and showing people who I really was, that whole, you know, that whole saying we hear, it's lonely at the top. Right. It wasn't because I didn't feel like I was at the top. I felt like I belonged in an organization with a team. It wasn't just me and them. It was us. I love that. I really do. And I do like Harbor the Humanist better. It, it, it really is. I, I do. I, I wrote it down because I was like, that's really good. And it does tie into hang up the armor. I get it. Get rid of the armor, but you've really got to work on what you want to show. But I, um, I, I think authenticity is underrated in, in today's world. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that people are inspired and uh, follow people today that are real, not that are perfect. And, and is that ability to tell people I'm not perfect and this is where I messed up and this is what I learned from it and this is what I hope you learn from it is what inspires them to tell you, here's where I messed up, here's what I learned, here's how I fixed it and here is how we're going to move forward. I, I think those are those pieces that, in, in, you know, we, you can call it ego, you can call it whatever you are, but I always tell people, get over yourself. And uh, my advice to every, by the way, every college class that I've ever talked to, and I'm surprised they keep inviting me back. It's my first point when they say, what advice do you have for me? Get over yourself. Yeah. Nobody owes you a thing. Mm. And you've got to start there to understand it. It's not about you. It's about everybody else. And, and, and look, you know, I, I think the military personally, I think what they do very well because you don't have a choice because of the enormous responsibility you have with the people under your care is teach servient leadership. It, it, you, you have no option because you were there to serve as a military leader. And, and I think we talked about, it. I mean, I've grown up in a military family my whole life. I get that. And I wish more people could learn from that because when you have people's lives in your hands, you know, it, it's a different responsibility and you do serve in a different way. But what lessons did you take from, the military that you think us in the general, you know, in a general public should learn or should be able to take as an advantage? Yeah. So I'm going to pause that question for a second because okay. you said something that I just want to add on to. Please. You said authenticity is so important. Um, my partner and I have been talking a lot about this lately and transparency is really the name of the game. I would say in the next few decades, right? We're looking at transparency in our financial systems. We're looking at transparency in our political systems. We're looking at all kinds of transparency through our access and the web. Um, and when you think about that, it makes sense that that transparency transcends into leadership as well. And we're calling that authenticity, but what that is, is it's being really transparent about what are we doing? Why we're doing it? When we look at these hybrid work environments that we're going to, one of the main areas where people are stumbling is how, as an organization, are we more transparent in um, compensation, in yeah. pay? How are we transparent in what those who are working at home are going to be, you know, afforded versus those who are coming into the bill, you know, coming into work in person are going to be afforded? And so much of this is because historically corporations weren't transparent, right? There's a huge push on the web. You know, if you look in some of the social media networks, right. And transparency and salaries. And so we're seeing transparency as this dialogue that we're just leaning into more and more and more. It makes complete sense that if we're expecting transparency in our society, we're expecting transparency in our leaders. I feel really bad because the demand for these skills 
these skills of authenticity and transparency and empathy, the demand for the skills has far outpaced our training in them. So you have a huge cohort of people, of leaders, of te- you know, team members who've been taught one way, yeah. this idea of stoic, have all the answers, be hard, be firm. And now society has shifted on a dime and we're saying, no, that's not what we want. We want leaders who are honest, who are authentic, who care, who have empathy. And man, there's a struggle. I can see it. I see it in people who go, I want to do this, but I don't know how. Like, I don't know what that looks like. I've never seen it modeled. We haven't. We haven't seen it modeled. Maybe a rare few, but we're all kind of learning as we go of what does this new age of trans demand for transparency look like? Yeah. And I always add, if you're going to be truly transparent, it can't be when it's convenient because, because that's what I find. Okay. I want to be transparent until it's going to be a really hard conversation or I'm going to get pushback. And now I used to joke about diversity of thought. Okay. We all agree in diversity of thought. And I always say, yeah, until somebody disagrees with you. And now you don't want diversity of thought anymore because you have a disagreement going. I find that with the transparency side. And, you know, I, you just said something that I think is a correlation that um, I relate a lot of things to sports. And I think about some of the most successful coaches in the NFL 15 years ago probably aren't successful today. Right. And that's why you see this younger group of coaches that are there because you just said the old model was you're going to do it my way because I said so. And now go, go, go do it. And, you know, I, I read an article about uh, Belichick recently and, you know, everybody sees him as this hard ass and hard line that they, they follow. It was a guy that's played with him for uh, eight, eight seasons, two different stints. And he said, he didn't, he didn't care about the noise. Like he didn't have a lot of rules. The rules were all about football. And and this guy was explaining, I've been with other teams that you couldn't bring food into a film room. You couldn't do, he didn't have any of those rules. He had rules of the expectations on the football field and you doing your job. And, and that's where you see, I think that balance you're talking about. He had great expectations around the job, yeah. but he, he gave a lot of freedom around everything else and treated them as adults. And I, I, I think that's that balance you're talking about because he seems like he came up that old school, do it mm-hmm. my way. And what, the, what they were talking about is how he's changed mm-hmm. as the environment's changed and that the hardness is only around execution, not yeah. about the human beings that are actually with them. But I, I agree with you. I think it's a balance for those of us. And um, I, like I, I'm always one, I say this often, I, I think leadership's a muscle and you have to exercise it like any other muscle. Yeah. And, and that means what I did yesterday may not work today because my, my situations change or my personnel changes, but either way I need to recognize, I may need to alter some things to be effective. Yeah. And I love, you know, to add to your analogy, right. And we don't, we don't step onto the game playing perfectly unless we've practiced. Agreed. And so leadership is a muscle and it's a practice. Like you get to practice every day. And, and what are your, you know, what are your leadership drills? What are those things you want to try a little bit every day? A leadership drill for me, curiosity, because it's not a muscle that is well established. It is a drill I need to practice over and over and over again. So that in those moments when it's really hard and I'm in the game, 
now I can actually rely on that muscle. So I have never really actually talked about this. Like I'm going to have to figure out how do I build a keynote around leadership? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's why I love these conversations because I never know where they're going and, and you get into different thoughts. And what's interesting, if you haven't seen it, uh, Didi, I'll send it to you later. There is a, there was a video yesterday going through ESPN on Instagram and it was Deion Sanders and Deion was talking because he's coaching now and he's coaching kids, but he was talking about practice and it had this, he just had this drill in about why do you practice? How do you practice? What is your purpose behind practicing? And it, it was one of these mic drops because at the end of it, he goes, you know why I practice to be the very best of all time. Mm. That's how I brought it to practice. And, and I know that's sports, but I relate that to whatever your profession, whatever your craft is. And you were just, you mentioned practice and that just popped into my, my mind because his point is you got to practice with intention. How hard are you going to practice and how disciplined are you going to be around it? Because are you trying to be the best or you're just trying to get better? And and that's a question you got to answer, you know? Yeah. My drills, curiosity and listening, like, whoo. <laughs> every day. <laughs> the, the listening is hard. And yeah, I, I can tell you as a leader, one of the challenges I've had is I, I, I've become a much better listener. Um, I think I'm a good listener, but I, 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 I think we can always be great, all of us, and get mm-hmm. better at it. But one of the things I, I mentioned, and the reason I say that is I listen to something you say and it spurs curiosity. In me. Yeah. And that's where I think I'm a good listener because these conversations always that. You said something that just triggered with me, um, but but I was talking about this that in certain times, I've had a a team member that comes back to me, and they've told me something. I've gone a different direction, and they said you don't li- you, you don't listen. I said no no no, I listened completely. I disagree, <laughs> and that is a difference. And and I think as leaders, I think that's important. And and one of the things that you talk about this communicate to connect as well was another piece of your conversation. And I think that's something people miss. It's not only listening, why are you having the conversation? And I think too many as leaders think we're having conversations to give direction instead of I'm trying to listen, learn, and I'm trying to connect going back to your harbor, your humanness. I'm trying to learn their humanness as well. Uh, Any advice around that? Because I I thought that connect the, uh, the communicate to connect was just brilliant in that regard, because that means to me, communicating with purpose. Yeah, I think, you know, two things um, come to mind for me as you say that. Um, One, you know, communicate to connect versus just direct. As a leader, we're really, you know, I I don't work with a single leader who isn't really busy. I don't work with a single leader who isn't just like desperately cramming our coaching sessions into their calendar, you know, trying to find that one block of time they can talk to, uh, you know, talk with someone who's like, you know, their thought partner in their corner. And the hard part is because we're so, because the pace is so chaotic and so busy, we often think we only have time to just give direction. And so the most important thing we can do to communicate, to connect instead of, you know, just direct is to slow down. And usually, and Deepak Chopra Chopra says, um, I think it's him, I could be wrong. But I think he said, you know, like, when my life is really busy is actually when I need to meditate most. When, you know, when my life is actually really busy, that's when I meditate two hours instead of one hour. Right. And I kind of put that same lens on leadership, like when 
the lesson I had to learn the hard way, really hard way was when it was really, really busy. That was when I had to really slow down to connect to people. And I sometimes didn't do that well. And so I could see, you know, I could see the aftermath of that. But the other part of this, if we're going to slow down to connect, let's not talk like robots. You know, in my presentation, I talk about how from a leadership perspective, the conversation I heard all the time was tactical leadership, operational leadership, strategic leadership. But I don't really know what that means when I'm talking to a 24 year old kid who is struggling with mental health or with someone who lost their wife unexpectedly or an airman who lost their child. That's not tactical, operational or you know, strategic leadership. That's heart. And we have to use a language. In my presentation, I talk about you know, a 1948 manual yeah. that used words like kindness and mercy and understanding fear and helping people feel like they belong in love. Like it even talked about love and how as a leader you love the people who have trusted you to lead them and using that language like we have we have so sanitized our language for a very you know for various reasons we've really sanitized our language so that when we actually maybe if we're lucky enough to slow down and take time now we're really uncomfortable with the language of our humanness right like these ideas that we all struggle. I, we're all afraid. The word lonely, you know, when I started, I uh, share a story in the presentation about loneliness. And when I started telling that story of what happened around the installation, you could see people get really uncomfortable mm -hmm. about me even telling a story about loneliness. And they would like, you know, they'd kind of like <laughs> wiggle in their seats and they'd be like, look the other way. And it was almost like, why is she still talking about loneliness? Uh, because it's an uncomfortable word for us. It's, it's a vulnerable word to even use ourselves. Um, I've got a lot of the same experience when I talk about shame. You know, I, I love Brene's work on shame. And when I would talk about shame in the organization, man, people would like, you could, you could feel the discomfort quite like I talked at the beginning of the podcast when you could feel the joy and excitement in your group. Right. It felt the same way. And you'd be talking about shame. People would be like, I do not want to talk about this. <laughs> and so the two things really are like, how do we slow down even when it's really, really busy to take those moments? And then how do we talk to people as people and not hide behind the sterile language of data of our you know our our professional vernacular like really just talk to people about the emotional experience they're they're going through yeah and you know it goes back to there you've had two common themes slow down and human can, can yeah. we talk about the humanity of, of who we're leading versus anything else because that's what was connecting and you know it's you, you talk about loneliness and shame and most people take that as weakness and it's not and that's the vulnerability that you were talking about earlier. Um, I, I mean, Didi, we could go on for hours. Seriously, I, I so know. enjoyed this. We're going to have to bring you back. We'll have to do it again. Um, without a doubt, unfortunately, we're out of time, but we're going to have to do it again. Uh, I definitely know you were a public affairs office or officer at one time because you covered yourself every time. I may be getting this wrong and I just want to make sure and I'm apologizing ahead of time. I'm like, somebody did work public affairs because you were covering yourself completely. <laughs> I want to 
make sure I have the correct attribution. Like people work hard. So. I agree. So, and going back to, I really do listen. I was making, I was connecting those dots. I'm like, somebody was a public affairs officer. That was brilliant. Um, like, thank you. And, and I mean, I, I mean this sincerely. Thank you. I, I, I've really enjoyed one of the reasons I love this job and this, this business is I get to meet people like you and, and these conversations are just, they're joyful for me. Um, when you talk about curiosity, this is the curiosity. It's continuing to have these kind of conversations, but uh, you're part of our Alhai family for any of our planners that are listening. Uh, Didi knocked it out of the park for us and um, I, I wish you well uh, on all your future endeavors, but uh, please, uh, seriously, I, we may have you back a little bit down the road and we'll do another one of these. It was awesome. I would love that. I would love it. All righty. Thank you, Didi. Have a Thanks, great one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Meeting Room, presented by Associated Luxury Hotels International. Alhai is a global sales and marketing organization representing the finest luxury hotels, cruise lines, and destination management companies. For the latest industry news and to see Alhai's robust portfolio, follow us on LinkedIn and check out our brand new website at alhi.com. You can learn more about Dee Dee Halfhill and book her as a keynote speaker at ddhalfhill.com. We'd like to thank our partners at the Estate Yachtville for bringing you this episode, offering curated signature experiences coupled with stunning event spaces indoors and out. Any group, whether corporate or social, is sure to have a most memorable stay at the Estate Yachtville.